Hello, everybody. Today's just a fantastic day because I get to do what I love doing. I get to talk to industry experts. Today is no exception. My name's Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. And we've got a fantastic guest here. We've got Jeremy Bezdek. And I mean, he is with Fry Battery out of Norway. He is new to Fry Battery as of, I believe, January. Now, Fry Battery is uh, one of my, got a lot of my hot buttons as a checkbox. I've been fortunate enough to interview Tom, the CEO, and we are going to have a fabulous update from Fry Battery. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Stu. Appreciate you having me. Oh, I'll tell you what, congratulations on your new position. So you got that in January, huh? Yeah. So I had uh, I'd actually been at Coke Industries for 26 years uh, prior to that. And and the last couple of years leading the uh, energy transition vertical for them. And, and at Coke, we invested in Frere. So I had led that investment. And then um, and then actually joined the board of Frere for 18 months. Um, prior to coming on board with him as, as president of the U.S. business. So I knew him pretty well, um, but but yeah, I still was an employee since January and it just hit the ground absolutely sprinting. So Oh, I bet. I, and, and so we got so much to cover. Tell us about the new plant that you're raising money for. Tell us about what's going on there, because that's exciting. Yeah, no, it, it is exciting. And this this really started um, almost two years ago now when uh, after Coke had made the investment in Frere, Frere came to me and said, hey, we want to build a facility in the U.S. and we'd love to have your help doing that. And so we uh, brought some resources, uh, some some folks who could help with that. And we went through a very detailed site selection process and ended up with a great site in Georgia. It's about 30 miles south of the airport there, south of Atlanta. And um, it's uh, it's a great site for a lot of reasons, but you know the battery belt, so to speak, is really developing in the southeastern U.S. I mean, you see it with a lot of different announcements. A lot of different folks are building not only battery facilities but electric vehicle facilities, and so we like that location. And we actually purchased the property in November of 22. And when I came on board in January, the first thing Tom said to me was, "Now that the IRA is in place, which of course." When they when Fair wanted to pursue a U.S. plant, this was pre-IRA. Right. But once the IRA was in place, his whole point to me was, we've got to accelerate this. We've got to move faster. Um, our original plan was to have a plant that would start up production in the summer of 2026, and and then what we've done over the last six months is really tried to accelerate that with what we call a fast track project, where we could do a slightly smaller facility, a couple lines of, of battery cell production have it start up in summer of 25. So, so we've saved a year on that. And so we are out right now in a, in a fundraising process. We've got a, a large number of both financial type sponsors, as well as our strategic partners that are all evaluating how they may want to participate in right. this fundraising. And um, yeah, we're moving forward on it. It's, it's a lot of fun and, and pretty exciting. I'll tell you, when you sit back and kind of go, and I've been calling it Fry Battery, but that puts me in Texas, you know, so it's Frere. How do you pronounce it? Pronounce it Frere Battery, yes. Frere so Battery. It is, okay. it is a little tricky, Stu, because our, our actual ticker is Frey, F-R-E-Y. Okay. But Frey Battery is, of course, the name of the company. So Frey yeah. Battery. Okay, cool. Um, but as we sit back and, and we take a look at either ERCOT and the energy transition, storage is really going to be a big deal. 
I mean, it is, it is very much necessary, but one of my big hot buttons is renewable batteries and pray prayer, <laughs> Friar Tuck prayer has uh, the recyclable batteries. Yeah, no, I think there's a couple things here to, to really comment on. And the first is that, yes, as re- as more intermittent type generation comes into play, which you see with wind and solar and, and, you know, the cost of wind and solar generation has come down so significantly that to solve problems that intermittency create for the grid, you need battery storage. And that's, that's what solves the problem. And now what you're seeing is dramatic drops in the cost of batteries. And so now you're getting to this point where it's a re it's quite economical to see, you know, renewable generation, with battery storage, really becoming baseline type generation for um, utility districts all over the country. And, mm-hmm. and Court Burkott, you know, being one of the large ones um, in Texas, um, it, is, it is absolutely something that we think we can help. You know, our 24M technology, to your point, Stu, is, is, is really made for not only low, lower carbon footprint tech battery cells because of the, mm-hmm. the Type of technology it is. It's a lot less complex than conventional technology, a lot less process steps, much friendlier from a, a power consumption and water consumption standpoint. And then the ability, of course, of taking those cells and then going through recycling and, and, and then reusing battery materials that have been, you know, gone through a cell once and now come out, you know, just as good as they went in and ready to be used in a new cell. And so we have you know, recycling efforts that we will be putting in place with our production that enable us to really capture that sort of reuse capability for, uh, for the energy storage market. I'll tell you, that to me is one of the most critical things when we talk about the uh, supply line. We have, you know, you have so many of your uh, rare earth and critical earth minerals around the world. Reusing what you got is kind of important for a cost saving for investors, don't you think? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, you know, we will be at least initially utilizing what's called LFP chemistry. So lithium iron phosphate batteries. And and there's a little less sort of rare critical elements in the LFP battery versus an NMC battery, you know, with a you don't have any cobalt, you don't have any nickel in the LFP battery. So so you're a little bit advantaged already. But even then, the ability to to go through a battery's life and then be able to pull out the materials that went into that initial battery and be able to reutilize those, that's a huge win. And now, of course, prayer is not the we didn't invent recycling. There's a lot of people that are evaluating it, but our technology does lend itself to much easier recycling. We're pretty excited about our ability to do that as we scale up. Well, I tell you, uh, Jeremy, I have. I've talked to other storage companies and everything else, and none of them are touting that or encouraging it like Tom and you are doing. So, you know, hats off because you're hitting my big hot button on that bad dog. So, yeah, well, uh, you know, I think part of it too is to the extent that you can create cleaner batteries from the get go, uh, right. which we focused on, obviously in Norway, where we're building our facility and, and there uses 100% you know, renewable hydropower in Georgia, working with the local utilities. And and, um, they already have their plans to continue to increase their renewable percentages of generation, but we want to, you know, encourage them to do that and support them with projects as well. So yeah, lowering the initial footprint of the battery, but then being able to use recycled materials, uh, it's a huge win. 
Oh, that is that is just fantastic. Now, the the importance of the IRA in taking a look at the storage to help offset that uh, is that what brought prayer to the U.S. or what what prompted uh, Norway to get interested in the U.S. storage market? Because I mean, you don't you have an Arctic uh, plant coming in? Really, you just announced one, I think. This this past week, I saw an announcement, whatever that was. But anyway, sorry, that was almost two questions there. <laughs> no, 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 I'll cover I'll cover it all, man. That's fine. So okay. uh, so the announcement we just made is we received a hundred million euro grant from the EU. Right. That is for our previously announced Giga Arctic facility. We've been working with the EU for over a year, and, and then the, we just sort of passed all the checked all the boxes and received the grant. So so that's exciting. And, um, and that Giga Arctic facility is still set to start up production in 2025. So that's that's exciting for our Norwegian colleagues. But back to your original question around the U.S., I mean, it, it was pre-IRA when when Frere wanted to, to build a plant in the U.S. And it was quite frankly because they view, because we're targeting energy storage, the U.S. could be, and we think it will be, the largest energy storage market in the world. And so... Being here with production was an important next step for Frere, kind of poked Norway. What the IRA did is it just accelerated our plans. I mean, it, 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 it creates this economic incentive for producers, battery cell producers and module producers to, to get in the game fast. And, and it, right. it does a lot to generate real value for, for the plants themselves. And of course, it creates you know, increased NPV and great returns for, for the capital right. investment that we have. And uh, it's an exciting time. And quite frankly, what it does is it allows the U.S. to build out a supply chain for battery cells that would be difficult to do without it in place. And, you know, we've got to compete oh, yeah. with the big, you know, the big elephant in the room is China, obviously. I mean, they've been in this game for much longer than the U.S. has. They've created right. huge amounts of scale and, and all the supply chains there. Uh, we've got to go duplicate that, and the IRA definitely creates incentive to help do that here in the U.S. Well, um, when you talk about uh, you know the energy transition, and you talk about uh, the storage, see, it brings up a couple questions about security. We we haven't talked about this uh, before, but energy security is in a couple different ways: keeping the grid up, uh, which you know we've kind of alluded to with the storage, you know. You, have the the power not being uh, frequent on there, but how is the storage? How's Frere taking a look at energy security from either a physical or even uh, cyber attacks? Because uh, was it two years ago we had the Colonial Pipeline get hacked? What do you guys got going on the security front? Yeah, there, there's. A, I, I would look at it a couple different ways. First, let's talk about the the supply chain because okay. just. Just the ability to sort of localize and and you know create a sustainable supply chain in yes. the Western Hemisphere is important, um, and and that that creates security right there because number right. one you're having to buy all your raw materials from China um, or or equipment from China that just creates you know risk as a, you know as associated with uh, those materials coming from you know outside of the of the U.S. And so we are working with our supply chain partners, raw material suppliers to do two things. Number one, build out the supply chain here, you know, locally, but also right. then work with them on lowering their carbon footprint as it relates to the raw materials they're producing. 
Um, and, and we can talk about our coalition that, that uh, we've announced and talked about here in a second. But that's, that's one area where we're really focusing on, on the supply chain. As far as cybersecurity and the ability to sort of you know, create products that, that, that are enabled and, and, and not really subject to risk associated with, with cybersecurity issues, um, you know, battery management systems is a key part of any sort of a battery energy storage solution. And, and so we've been very involved, not only internally in how we develop out battery management systems, but working with experts in the field. That creates that sort of insulation, right. security insulation, not physical insulation, but the, <laughs> that creates this protection around an energy storage system that will you know, greatly mitigate any sort of risk right. associated with those kind of attacks. You know, and and forgive me for uh, not knowing exactly this, but that's why I ask the questions. <laughs> and that is in the uh, U.S., we have the the balancing authorities and you have the ability for standby energy. You have, you know, when they're sitting there, you have you get paid for being on standby. And that to me as an investor is something pretty important when you sit there and the balancing authority is sitting there. Wind and solar can't be on demand that quickly, but your storage can. So as an investor looking at storage, does the way the financial market in the U.S. for electric uh, generation to consumers make it more attractive to battery storage? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. No, it does. Absolutely. It, it depends a little bit on which utility district you're talking about, um, because okay. the rules are slightly different. There's also local, you know, state and county rules that that are well known, but but different uh, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But generally speaking, I think you're spot on. What you're saying is there's an opportunity to get paid for having the ability to be on demand. And that's what a battery provides. And you know what you're seeing now, and this is this is just fascinating to me. But the amount of battery plus wind, battery plus storage projects that are now in what's called the interconnection queue, which is where project developers come in and said, "I want to put this project in, but I have to wait to get blessed by the grid, essentially, to be that's right, be a part of the party, if you will." That about eighty percent of the current interconnection queue in the U.S. is a Wind, solar, battery, or some combination of right. project. 80% of the interconnection queue right now. And that that's amazing to me. And I think what it what it's saying is developers, utilities see the value in, in installing battery systems along with the renewable generation. And then of course the investment tax credits that are that exist now apply to batteries. And that helps too. It just helps the initial economics. Yep. But to your point, if you can get these things built. And get them connected into the grid. Yeah, the ability for those type of developers to get paid for having standby, you know, power ready to go, it's clearly there. It seems to me as a if I was a balancing authority, my wife always says I'm not balanced, but if I was a energy balanced authority, it would make sense to pay for the battery at a certain rate. Cause even if it's not being used or discharged, you're still going to pay a certain rate to have that insurance sitting there. And, you know, with the rolling blackouts that are being talked about in Texas, it's kind of important to have that little insurance there uh, for folks. Well, we have we have something that and I don't think we've made up this term, but um, energy shifting is what we call it, which is this right. 
the ability to sort of uh, utilize, you know, discharging of a battery during peak periods that have been potentially charged during off peak. And so that's just, there's a math problem there that works. We've seen the U.S. market start moving more towards four hour duration storage as opposed to two hour duration storage. And we think that has enabled this energy shifting opportunity. And, and I'll say it this way too, Stu, you're talking about really grid and utility type applications, but there's a whole commercial industrial segment that is evaluating and now moving forward aggressively on adding battery storage just from an energy shifting standpoint. If I'm a commercial party or if I'm an industrial facility and I can go behind the meter and and really reduce my reliance on peak power, um, there's math there, you know, and so that's... Yes, it is. It is. And so we're seeing a huge sort of development in what we call CNI, commercial and industrial. Um, and so I think you'll see battery storage at the utility scale. So sort sort of in front of the meter, you know, utilities for everything we talked about, in by uh, power ready to go. You've got the commercial industrial behind the meter market that is going to use it just from a pure economic standpoint. It makes a ton of sense. And then, of course, there will be a residential market too. And that's that's an exciting kind of just to yeah. think about how myself as a homeowner could play in this game by yeah. having own storage. Uh, Tom and I were talking, we, we talked about even the car market that you guys weren't there yet, but you were possibly thinking about it with the new technology and stuff. But I love the home market from the standpoint that one of my places is out in the middle of nowhere. Now, I, I, I'd love to have a storage. But, you know, you sit back, I, it's hooked to uh, hydro there. So, uh, you know, it'd be kind of nice if, if the hydro ever quits, I'm in trouble. So um, if you're sitting here taking a look at where the biggest, best market for Friar is, is it the home market? Or is it, right now, from what I understand, the bigger the box, you're going to go to industrial. That's a great market because that all of a sudden makes sense. But how many years is an ROI on a storage unit if you're paying X number cents less on something like that? When you're out there as the president of the U.S. for Frere, do you get the ROI calculations out, get your crayon and your finance going there? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're a pretty small team still uh, as we build out the the first facility. And so everybody's uh, involved in a lot of these conversations, quite frankly, but we've got a really, really great team that we've hired and and really sharp people that have experience in this space. They also have experience building large scale industrial facilities, which is helpful because that's exactly what we're going to be doing. But yeah, I think if you look at, at, you know, the opportunity for us, yes, we have sort of not approach the the EV market opportunity yet simply because right. our technology is so fit for purpose in in the energy storage space but but we think it is across all of the energy storage space so whether it's right. residential this this CNI space or even at the utility scale we will have products that we make that are available for each of those markets nice. um, I think that I think quite frankly the margin profile is going to kind of move back and forth um, I mean you know this the whole energy transition space is a bit of the wild west right now, uh, which which creates a ton of opportunities, right? So, oh yeah, um, and I I've told people that I think we'll wake up in 2030 and we'll look back over the decade of 20s and said, wow, can't believe we just went through all of that. Because right. there'll be massive periods of of shortness in the battery market. There'll be some periods where everybody's got a battery and they could buy from anybody, and it's just going to be one of those kind of up and down supply and demand pictures for for 
better part of this decade. And, and what that means is the margin profiles in residential versus utility could be all over the board. And so we need to be nimble enough to be able to really migrate to wherever there is the best return possible for us and for our shareholders. And, and hopefully we'll have that capability and, and can really monetize that as we see the market shifting. That's pretty cool. Now, I don't know much about the technology uh, on this part, but the solid state battery, was it Toyota that just announced that? I know that you guys got an R&D facility and they're probably deep in a mountain in Norway somewhere, you know, buried into there, got big secret doors on it and everything. But do you guys have some stuff coming around the corner? So, you know, for prayer, the capability that we have internally is really large scale project and operating industrial facilities. And that's, you look at the history of a lot of the, the folks within our company, that's what we've done. We've added a ton of battery experience, of course, because that is the next frontier, so to speak. And that's where we're going to be, you know, playing. I think you look across sort of the, the newer battery technology space, and there are many companies out trying to solve, you know, the biggest problems related to battery constraints today. And, and solid state is clearly one angle, which, you know, hopes to achieve some significant, not only cost savings, but massive right. amounts of density. And I think you know, the Toyota announcement talked about some massive numbers as it relates to energy density. Pretty exciting right. stuff. For us, it's about partnering with a lot of those newer technology providers to help them scale. So right. Tom, I've told you this previously, but I mean, we consider ourselves the industrialization partner of choice. So for a lot of these technology guys who are coming out of the pilot plants or coming out of their labs, they can't get to scale. They need a partner like us to help them get to scale. I've been in the yeah. sort of investment community now for over a decade, and you know, we used to call it the valley of death. That's where here I am. I've got this technology that's ready to go, but I can't get over the valley of death and create a large you know, commercial facility. That's what Frere is going to help these companies do. So while we don't necessarily have a lot of secret sauce we're working with internally. We are having conversations. In fact, I think at this point, we've had very serious conversations with four different technology providers of what I would call next-gen technology. Nice. And allowing them to really build out the R&D capability, create the opportunity, and then we'll take it and scale it. And, and that's how they get to market because they can't do it on their own. So... You know, the uh, the expertise in the like in anything, you can have a product, you can have a battery and you can have the connectors. But if you don't have the PM experience, the project management, you don't have the huge knowledge of a large scale project, it's going to fail. So yeah. what you, Jeremy, what you just described is very critical. I mean, you know, it's kind of like uh, if you want it to work, you'll buy from us. <laughs> if, if you just yeah. want a battery to put in the corner, buy it from somebody else. Let me tell you, when we first, when I was at Coke and we first invested in Frere, I, I was in my very first board meeting. They had, they were just talking about the Giga Arctic process and the, and the COO was laying out all the risk factors that they were addressing and working to mitigate. And I'm thinking, man, that is a lot of risk, but they've got it all understood and they're working on mitigating all of it. Right. I'm also thinking about a lot of the other players in this space who don't even know what risk to think about. So right there, it's just their advantaged, Frere is advantaged in their ability to go build projects, which all these projects are going to have billion dollar price tags. I mean, these are big, big facilities. Oh, yeah. And um, but it's coming. So people are going to be doing this. And we feel like we're advantaged to be able to deliver on those large scale projects because we just have a whole bunch of people that have done it many, many times. 
So, well, on your uh, financial aspect on this, on looking for your investors and those kind of things, the tax advantage is is critical for a lot of folks as far as even in in looking in a new uh, gigafactory or something in a local community. Um, that's a huge discussion. I mean, you're talking having some of these things roll into local areas is huge job opportunities and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. So when we went through our site selection process in the U.S. and, and settled on the Georgia facility, we we looked at 140 different locations in 34 states. Wow. And we had a, we had this search criteria, and we had you know several things, you know, cost of power, availability of good quality labor, and you know you kind of go down the list. One of them was, you know, participation through local incentives by the by the you know municipalities, counties, states right. that we were working with. And once we got down, I think to our final nine, we had some pretty serious conversations about incentives. And what Georgia brought to the table was pretty interesting because you had a you had the local county, Coweta County, which is where our plant will be located, who okay. was definitely leaning forward in a big way, and the state of Georgia did too. So um both of them provided us a land grant that allowed us to really lower the cost of the of the, the land itself, which is 368 acres. It's a big site. Um, and then they also provided us tax incentives, which we've we've talked about publicly, but over $400 million of tax incentives, both from the county and the state, that are all triggered on the number of jobs we're going to add and the amount of capital expenditure that we're going to make at that facility. And now we right. set those standards where we believe we will achieve them. But I mean, there's significant ads when you think about it to the tax base of Coweta County and the state of Georgia. And so oh, yeah. these tax incentives are, are important, not only to, to generate, you know, interest in the local community, right. but also then creating the number of jobs. I mean, we're going to have, you know, 600 jobs in Coweta County, Georgia that didn't exist, you know, before. And that's, that's on oh, a permanent yeah. basis. You add all the temporary jobs from the actual construction project, that's significantly more. But oh, you know, yeah. these are big, nice, nice big facilities with good, high quality, high paying jobs um, coming to a lot of these states that that really wanted it. So, Oh, that's cool. So if there were 38 whatever sites you had, what was the worst hotel you had to stay in while you're traveling around? <laughs> uh, thankfully, I had, a, I had a really good team that did a lot of the. Okay. <laughs> only, I will say, Stu, we, we looked at 140 sites. We only visited nine. So oh, okay. we went through our sort process to get down to nine, but we did have a team that, that, that went out to each one of them and laid eyes on them and, and uh, you know, evaluated what was good and what was bad. And, and uh, I think what we found, like I said earlier, what, I, what we found in Georgia, we're, we're extremely excited about just because of where it is, uh, oh, the yeah. logistics and out the support from the local community. I mean, the Coweta County Development Authority has yep. been fabulous. Isn't I mean, that, cool? that, oh yeah, they are so excited about our facility. And I mean, we use their office. We don't have an office yet. We're actually, we we will have an office in the next couple of months in the town right. square of New Georgia. But um, prior to that, we just used the development office. I mean, they let us use it whenever we need any any sort of office space. So it's it's pretty cool. I'm going to go back and look at the announcement because I remember, I believe it was Hilde and uh, I hope I pronounced her name right, but Tom and everybody. I'm going to go look for you because there was that big announcement of everybody out there on the field and everything. If I remember that correctly, I think it's pretty cool. You're not going to see my picture there. And and here's why, because that was the end of November when it was closing of the land. Just, oh, got it. 
and okay. Tom came to the U.S. And, and he was there shaking hands and cutting ribbons and those kind of things. Um, and I, I had not joined Frere yet. So I was oh. still, I was on the board still. So, uh, and, and had worked, you know, from my seat at Coke on the site selection process. Right. But, uh, so I wasn't there, but did have a couple people from our team there, which was exciting. So. Oh, yeah, I, I, it was pretty cool. So where do we see the next steps for you, Jeremy? You got to you got to get the money. You got to get new locations, new projects. Uh, what is first for the next quarter? What are your targets again for next year? Yeah, sure. So so number one, of course, is is our fundraising process that we have for Giga America right now. We like I said, we've got a whole bunch of people involved in this. Um got an advisor helping us run the show and, and we're hoping to get to an initial closing here late third quarter, uh, which would allow us to hit that summer of 2025 start of production, which is, which is our goal. As we look forward, we're evaluating a couple of different opportunities, not only on this site, because the site itself is so large, we could build multiple facilities there and plan to, but we're also evaluating where else in the value chain do we want to participate? I mean, we've got some opportunities downstream from cell production. We will, of course, be making there at the site a DC block container. So we'll make cells into modules, into racks, and into a container. And that'll be the product we actually sell to the energy storage market, oh, nice. uh, which is really the way the U.S. market has evolved. That's what you have to do to be a player. And so we're going to do that. But we're also evaluating upstream. Cell production. Do we want to get into cathode active material production? Potentially, we yeah. might. Um, you see a lot of companies investing all the way up into lithium. I mean, General Motors just announced a big lithium investment. There have been right. others that. So, how do we want to potentially put capital at play in helping build out that domestic supply chain? Yeah. And so, I kind of view it as we're in the middle of the of the value chain right now with cell production. We're evaluating right. opportunities downstream and upstream. And, and I think we've got a real opportunity as one of the, well, probably the purest play energy storage battery companies to be able to sort of differentiate ourselves as we move around the value chain as well. So it's exciting times. Uh, it is. And so you also got another piece of your job there, and uh, that is the worldwide development. So. You know, we, we know you're going to own the U.S. and storage. You know, I think Tom has just increased your quota. But, you know, you, you sit back and kind of go, how are you going to be directed at the rest of the world? Because we've talked to the U.S. Where are you going to the rest of the world with all this? Yeah. Yeah. So so that I, I mentioned the coalition a little bit earlier, but let me tell you what, what we're doing there, because it's a big piece of it supports the U.S. business. It supports the Norwegian business, but it creates opportunities for us and our coalition partners um, right. really across the value chain. And what we did is we, well, we have identified this value chain and, you know, how do you localize it and democratize it? Tom likes to say, bring it to, you know, to a more sustainable way. And, and so what we, what we did is we formed this thing. It's a lot of words, but it, it, it makes sense. The Energy Transition Acceleration Coalition. And, and we announced back in March, the first four members, five including us, Glencore, Siemens, Caterpillar, and Nedec. I mean, these are big companies, big nice. market cap companies that all participate with us at one place or another in the value chain. Right. And all had a very similar vision, which was how do we enable clean battery production through the ability to lower the carbon footprint across the value chain? And, and so... Um, that's what we're working on. We've got real work streams that we're digging into with people from each of the companies trying to solve not only problems, but create 
commercial opportunities for each of the companies in the coalition. And that's globally. So um, and then, like I, uh, I think I mentioned, we've got a couple of other names that we're going to be announcing here over the next month. It'll be joining the coalition as well. It's um, it's something that we found as a way to sort of, you know, we had all these one-off conversations with these companies, but everybody was saying the same stuff to us. So let's, let's get everybody around the table because, you know, the power of five is better than the power of two and yeah. all this multilateral kind of benefits for everybody involved. Um, it's been good so far, and I, I'm really looking forward to how we can really launch this thing forward and, and go tackle a bunch of the problems that exist in the in the supply chain today. Oh, absolutely! That well, that's really cool. That that coalition, yeah. Let us know when we can help get the word out on it and get some things on our news channels and stuff. So yeah, absolutely, kind of fun. So, uh, how do people get a hold of you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and got a lot of followers there. Um, I've got, uh, um, you know, I'm, I will say Frere is incredibly active on a lot of social media uh, from Twitter to, to uh, LinkedIn and, and all kinds of different places. But uh, yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me via LinkedIn, I'm happy to chat with them. We've got a lot of activity and a lot of, of course, the other thing is we got a lot of open jobs. So oh. We, I mean, we have we have twenty something U.S. employees now going to you know six hundred in the next two years. So uh, a lot of opportunity from a recruiting standpoint. We have I will say as we filled roles in the U.S., there is so much interest in this transition space, and they right. look at us as a way to get into it. Um, I'll tell you this, dude. Just as a as a footnote, we were hiring our our head of human resources. Mm. We had nine hundred and eighty three applicants for one role. Whoa. It's hard enough just to sort through 983 applicants. We found a great person, by the way. She's great and she's doing a great job for us. Uh, but just think about the kind of interest that is is created in this energy transition space. Uh, that's a pretty interesting fact right there. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a lot of people fighting for one job. That's... Yeah, we'll have a lot more. We'll have a lot more jobs. So uh, that that's, I think, the most kind of exciting part of this is to see people wanting to get into this kind of space and see it as the future, see it as something that, like I said, is a bit of the wild west as far as opportunities go. And then uh, it creates a lot of excitement for those of us that have had the opportunity to land in this space. And and, uh, it's all exciting for us moving forward, too. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for stopping by the podcast. I had an absolute blast. And uh, we will tag you, Hilde, Tom, and everybody when this thing rolls on out and gets out of production. So thank you again for stopping by. I look forward to visiting with you again. Thanks, Stu, very much. Thanks for having me.